0: Hi there. Welcome to The Preventable, the podcast giving you a seat at the table with conversations about the intersection of alcohol, drugs, and mental health in everyday lives. Take a seat and join us. Welcome to The Preventable. With me today is best-selling author, and I'm so excited to have her here, Jessica Leahy, author of The Addiction Inoculation. Welcome Jessica.
1: Thank you so so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here.
0: So, this is not your first book, correct? You nope. you had a, another book called The Gift of Failure. Mm-hmm. And um you you're a teacher by trade. <laughs>
1: Yep, 20 years, every grade from six to twelfth, um, English, Latin, writing. Um, and then the last five years of my teaching were spent in an inpatient rehab, um, drug and alcohol rehab for adolescents, which I have to say, I think may have been my most, my very favorite post ever. I loved teaching there.
0: Well, I, I knew I liked you. And I think that's one of the things that I found so interesting. Um, approachable about your book is because like you genuinely like kids. And, oh my gosh, and I really yeah, feel yeah. like anybody who's a teacher, I'm a middle school teacher by trade, 6th grade is my jam. Um and not everybody loves middle
1: school, but I think it's my the best. Um, yeah, it's it's you, interesting when you talk to teachers because they they find the grades that sort of really capture them. And I never thought I would teach middle school, never, ever. In fact, I was in the running for a high school teaching post and the head of the middle school said, you know, just ask me to come by and meet the kids. Just just come see. Mm -hmm. And I did. And that was it. I withdrew my application from the high school. And I'm like, this, this, these kids, oh my gosh. I had no idea how wonderful middle school kids could be. And, you know, now clearly that's, that's been the sweet spot for me. I just adore middle school.
0: It's funny because, so my niece is going into the sixth grade this year. And and again, that's what I taught. And I, I feel like I peaked in when I was um, 12. Um, but, <laughs> and I still think my sense of humor is like at that level. But it's just su- such a fun age because they go really quickly from mm-hmm really wanting you to be there and be supportive of them to then only caring about their friends mm-hmm. and being embarrassed by you. But then also, like, they'll still give you a hug and grab your right. hand and, like, really yeah. moments of sweetness. Yeah. And they're so awkward, like, growing into yeah. their bodies and
1: figuring things out. That And sixth grade is so different from seventh grade and seventh oh, grade is so different from eighth grade. And there are these predictable phases they go through that, you know – to the outside could seem really upsetting. In fact, I was talking about this just recently with a friend, which is at the end of eighth grade, when these kids were going to leave and have to go off to high school, which can be really scary for them, um, they would often push back and just act out and be mean or whatever that thing was. And the consolation for me was knowing that they trusted me enough to know that they could push back against me and I would still be there for them. And they needed to push back against someone, but they could only do it with someone that they really trusted. And so, you know, even those moments that where, you know, you just want to get annoyed with them for being little jerks, you realize that, Um, there is a, there is a specific reason for that behavior. And if you can get inside what that reason is, then you're going to be in much better shape, both from a teaching perspective, from a trauma-informed teaching perspective, and from a, you know, all, all different angles. It's, it's really, it's a cool age.
0: Well, and I think, I think when you can understand the why, Mm -hmm. of why someone's behavior is the way it is. Right. Right. Um, And why not like, why are you acting that way? but really like why are you responding in this way or mm-hmm. why are you thinking that I'm yelling at you even when I'm ta- asking you to take out the trash right and what I love about your book is that you approach brain science and give some background as to why why kids need supportive adults, mm-hmm. why they need open and honest communication, why certain things impact them the way that they do, why drugs impact their brain at a different rate mm-hmm. and speed. You do that in a very digestible way. And at Prevent Ed, you know, we do a lot of, um, we, we lean on Dr. David Walsh a lot, mm-hmm. Dr. Um, Perry, because they they break down the brain science piece in a way that people can understand. And it makes you go, oh,
1: yeah. And you do that too. Have well, you
0: always a- loved the brain science piece of it?
1: Adolescent brain development is, I could talk about it for ages. It's and luckily, luckily, I have two best friends who I tend to text a lot. Um, every single day, we talk about our writing and what we're working on, and I can d- information dump on them so that I don't have to dump it on my reader. Or I have wonderful agent and a wonderful editor at HarperCollins that th- th- they they all understand that um, it's my writing is a process of putting way more out there than the reader needs and then pulling back and making it really digestible. So all of the brain science stuff started out as a chapter that was probably three times as long as it is now. <laughs> and, you know, and it's a process of winnowing away, you know, oh, okay, well, I would love to explain that, but really uh, your average reader just is not going to care about that. Or, you know, how do I tell this in a way that makes sense? Um, What are the analogies? What are the metaphors? That kind of thing. And, you know, I'm a huge dork. I mean, I think as far as I'm concerned, I have the best job in the world, which is to get curious about things, research them to death, and then translate them for people that don't really care about the details and want the big picture. And right. I love that. I love being in that in that place. That's always been at the heart of my journalism, of my books, all of it. Well, I
0: was reading the chapter on brain size and I'm like, yes, yes, <laughs> like this is what we teach and this is required, re- like this should be required reading. But oh, I'm so glad. I, I really think that, like we are adding it that, and I'm not saying this just to butter you up, this will be put on our new employee reading list. Oh, lovely. Because I do think it breaks it down and it toggles the line between being kind of like a, an autobiography, mm-hmm. but also being... Really informative and and giving the why behind why these things matter and why these conversations are so critical. But that's I, actually I, my
1: favorite intersection. The inter, what I like to read the most is the intersection of memoir and uh, research backed nonfiction. Totally, um, and agree. I have shelves full of that particular uh, type of literature. It's just my huh. favorite.
0: Well, I this, this to me was a page turner. So what I think is, is really nice as somebody who does not have biological children is that, you know, sometimes we will be talking about building assets and kids or having healthy conversations with kiddos and people will say, well, I'm not a parent. Mm -hmm. Well, it's all, it's also, as you say in the, in the cover of your book, you don't have to be a parent. Because you might have nieces or nephews or neighborhood kids, or maybe you're a teacher or, you know, you're a coach, you're a pediatrician, like all of these things, you might not have kids, but there are kids in your life.
1: Yeah. The research is really clear that when kids have one adult that they can look to for support, one adult that sees them for who they are, um, really for who they are and supports them for who they are and not who we wish they were, that those kids, no matter what kind of trauma they've been through in their early life, will actually fare much better later on in life. And that's true across the board, you know, for kids who've experienced trauma, kids who haven't, kids who, you know, for substance use prevention, it's incredibly important. For getting kids out of intergenerational poverty, it's really important. There's a wonderful book by Valerie Mahomes uh, that talks about the fact that one of the most important um tools we have to help get kids out of poverty is hope. And hope is something that um, kids often look to an adult in their lives to give them. And anyway, so there's all kinds of reasons that anyone who mentors children should be thinking about, you know, the ways they're mentoring those children and the ways that they can be really useful in from everything from substance use prevention to learning and engaging in school to just allowing that kid to be the best version of themselves and the truest form of who that kid wants to be.
0: So I, I know the answer, but uh, (laughs) because I've read the book, (laughs) but, um, did you just do research and decide that this is a book that you wanted to write. Uh, You are a parent of of Mm -hmm. two, correct? Mm -hmm. So did this come out of just realizing that what you were seeing or, or how did this book sort of Spring up for you.
1: So all everything I write comes out of very personal questions I have, whether it's about my own students or my own kids or my own my own teaching. Um, and that was what was really fun about my education journalism. But so I wrote Gift of Failure. That was based on really specific questions I had about my students and my own children. Um, and then I took some time where I was out speaking about Gift of Failure a lot and didn't know what I was going to do next. And in the meantime, I had gotten sober in. Um, my sober date is uh, June 7th, 2013, about the time I sold, thank you, about the time I sold the gift of failure. And at that point, once I sort of wrapped my arms around my own sobriety and started getting a handle on that, uh, you know, I had to, come to terms with the fact that I am the child of alcoholics and my parent is a child of an alcoholic and so on and so on. And same thing on my husband's side of the family. And we know that substance abuse, um, substance use disorder actually is the terminology we're supposed to use, um, is in part genetic. And so I wanted to understand how do I, how do I, up the chances that I can end this with me? How do, how can I be the last in the, in line in my, in my particular family? Um, and, you know, the powers that be, the experts out there say, quote, substance use disorder is preventable. But that word preventable is Massive, and what does it mean? And what, what is tr- what's a myth? What is true? You know, I had there are things I did with my older kid because I believed I was doing the best at the time that were, you know, absolutely counter to preventing substance use disorder in my children. So I just wanted to look into everything without having a horse in any particular race, which is, uh, you know, I really. I like to look at everything and try to come at it with an unbiased opinion and then, you know, from a place of without bias and then weigh the evidence and filter through what actually works and what doesn't work and then put that in a framework that people can understand.
0: You were pretty, I would say, uh, um, forthcoming and mm-hmm. um, really, I think, open about uh, your journey to sobriety, mm-hmm. your relationship with alcohol and how it sort of like it was insidious and sort of crept up. It really right did. and that yeah. other people were noticing, but it wasn't like I I don't exactly remember how you said it, but not basically that like people... you weren't
1: out on the street. Like Right. You know no, not mean? that like, many people noticed actually. I had to, you know, I had to Oh convince... yeah, you had to tell people yeah. like, no, 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 this actually is a thing with me. Yeah. Right? Like My it husband wasn't... My husband suspected, uh, my friends really didn't. Um, I was so good at hiding it. And I'm one of those, um, and I hate using this terminology, but I have what uh, people in recovery will often refer to as a high bottom in the fact that like my bottom my bottom was at the bottom for me in the for sense you. that like i had had it i'd had enough i was sick i was anxious i was exhausted i couldn't maintain the facade anymore i couldn't maintain the lies and the secrecy and i couldn't my kids were getting old enough that they were going to notice soon i i had a lot of not yet i was very fortunate yep. um but uh, it, all those things, all those bad things, were just about to happen. I was, I had, I had crossed a lot of lines that I'd drawn in the sand and said, "Oh, I'd never do that." But I had started to do all of those things, and so I was just about the the sort of the heavens were about to sort of crash down on me, and so it was definitely time. So when my dad actually intervened on me um, in 2013, uh, at that point sort of, it was the last piece of the puzzle clicking into place for me. And I didn't have any excuses left. And I 100% knew I needed help. Um, And I went to a a 12-step meeting that night. And, you know, I was very fortunate in that I got sober and have stayed sober and have a really supportive community around me. But yeah, it was... Uh, for me, if I'm going to talk about something, I have to be 100% honest, which means that a lot of people who love me found out things for the first time that I've been hiding for a long time when my husband- I was going to
0: ask that. Yeah. Yes. When my
1: husband read the book actually for the first time, because he doesn't read my work until it's done, done. Um, when he read it for the first time, he was like, wow, this is a lot of new information. <laughs> and it really was. So- um, but from my, I, I, I work at a rehab now actually for, um, not for kids, but for adults. And I often say to them, you know, being very public about this and being very honest about this is part of what keeps me sober. It's may not be everyone's, um, desired path, but it keeps me accountable to a lot of people. And, you know, once you've talked about your alcoholism in a, Three-page spread in People magazine. There's sort of no going back, um, and, well, and I prefer to keep it that way. I mean that it's
0: almost like you have a, a script of sort of the questions I've been coming up with, are uh, as I was reading the book because, mm-hmm. you know, with our we have several people on staff and we work with several people who are in long-term recovery, and they're peers, and so mm-hmm. it's part of their journey to be very open and honest and transparent about their journey because mm-hmm. that's that's basically in their job description right and so when right. you put it out there that you're a person in long-term recovery and that this is you know that that this was your journey i often wonder if and when you're like tired of telling the story like is there a point where you are like yes and
1: <laughs> no Mainly because every, so I do a lot of speaking and part of my speaking is explaining whether I'm talking about gift to failure, addiction, inoculation, and I often tend to do a dovetail of the two, explaining to people that I'm in recovery myself is a really important part of that story. And every single time I reveal that publicly. I get emails, I get texts, I get, and I give people usually to the audiences that I speak to, I give them my um, contact information so they can get in touch with me. And so I have this ongoing sort of running, whether it's DMs coming in from Twitter, where I leave my DMs open, whether it's people who email me because I gave out my email address somewhere, all of the people who come to the rehab where I work, get my phone number, my cell number, and my email. And um. I have been incredibly privileged to be a part of a lot of people's getting to the place that needed to get to in order to ask for help. I never, ever um, discount the importance of that position and the privilege of that position. Um, And it has been, not only does it help keep me accountable to other people, it, it gives me an opportunity to serve. It gives me an opportunity to be of service to other people who... May be in a similar situation that I was in, and that's that's a massive part of what I do, and and it means so much to me that if telling my you know if I were to ever to get you know tired of my story, I would continue telling it anyway. Hmm. It's it's just too important. There are a lot, and I have to say, there's also a a privilege piece here where like I am a white you know, financially stable woman who is, uh, when I tell my story, people say, oh, you're so brave for telling your story. Whereas there are, for a lot of people, you know, for example, someone who's in poverty, someone who is a person of color, especially, you know, you picture someone like a black single mom and they come out and say, you know, I'm an alcoholic. That's just for a lot of people can be an extra strike against them. And whereas I tend to get the benefit of the doubt. And I feel like it's, extra important for me to be out there telling my story in order to make it easier for other people to be um, to be public to be unashamed and about um, you know whether it's drug and alcohol addiction you know that kind of stuff it's just it's important to be able to talk about these things
0: it is important and and I think for all of the reasons you mentioned and also because when people think still in 2022 when mm-hmm. people think of somebody, who has struggled with a substance and has a substance use disorder, someone like yourself doesn't pop into their brain. Like there is still so much stigma and that is evolving and it continues to evolve because people like yourself are so open and saying like, look, I'm educated. I, you know, I did this, Mm -hmm. this, and this, I did everything right. And yet. And so the more that people are open about their stories and shows all the faces of recovery and what that looks like, then hopefully that's how, you know, we can move the needle. But I, I, it bothers me that we're not further along
1: because we've been working at this for so long. Does that bother you or, you know, I, I'm in this, I'm looking at this through this weird lens where I know that there are a lot of people who are in recovery out there that um, are willing to tell their stories. You know, Stephen King in, uh, you know, on writing talks about his recovery story and there's a great line in there about, um, you know, we all pretty much look the same when we're barfing in the gutter. So, which is absolutely true, but there are, you know, there are so many people that are out there writing recovery memoirs. There are a lot of celebrities who are willing to talk about their issues with drugs and alcohol and mental health. Issues, I think it's improving. I really, really do. Um, You know, we have we're having a moment when being curious about sobriety is something that you can approach without like this label of alcoholic over your head. You know, we have a we're in a place now where there's sober October and dry January and. I meet so many people who are like, you know what, I think I'm going to, you know, just stop drinking for a month and see what that's like. It has just, it just doesn't feel good in my body. And that's a really cool place to be. And then we have a lot of role models out there who are, um, well, if you choose to, you know, see celebrity or whatever as role models, but people who are willing to talk about their mental health issues now in a way that I have not seen in the past. And I tend to be very optimistic given that it's becoming a part of, uh, you know, our, our discussion, the sort of the, it's becoming a part of the zeitgeist. It, it is, it is.
0: And I think, um, or I know that being open and honest and transparent and direct about your story is a huge part of your book and your approach with your own children.
1: Mm-hmm. And that's
0: something that I would like to talk about in the next episode, sure. if you'll um, stick around. Absolutely. Excellent. So if you like what you're hearing and you're like, wait, I want to keep listening, please consider rating, reviewing, and subscribing to The Preventable. Thanks for joining us at The Preventable, brought to you ad-free by PreventEd. PreventEd works to reduce or prevent the harms of alcohol and other drug use through education, intervention, and advocacy. Please visit their website at prevented.org. Like what you heard? Rate, review, and subscribe to stay up to date with what we are serving on The Preventable.